Good morning, friends. Uh, I'm not at my regular place out at St. Mark's today, but I did write a sermon for today. It's called How to Get Along in This World. It's based on uh, 14 verses from Romans chapter 13. One of the most interesting news stories I heard over the years was the story of the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not the kingdom of heaven that Jesus spoke about. Rather, this kingdom was located a few miles west of Salem, Oregon, the state capital. The kingdom was set up by a man who figured because he was a Christian, he was no longer covered by the laws of this society. So he created his own driver's license plates, decided that he was not liable for any property taxes. The courts of Marion County had another view, however, and eventually seized the land and sold it at an auction. Imagine that, the kingdom of heaven sold on eBay. Well, anyway, this man fell into a common misconception among some Christians or folks claiming to be Christian. That is, as members of God's kingdom, we don't have to obey the laws of this world. In chapter 12 of Romans, Paul the Apostle gave us a quick start guide for how the individual is to live with God, with himself, and with those around them. But now in chapter 13, he talks about how the Christian, with a renewed mind, is supposed to live in society. Not only does he say that we should obey the laws of the land, but obey even when the laws don't make sense. In the process, he reveals principles for getting along in the world. Now let's start with verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Do you understand that? The authorities that exist have been established by God. Well, there's two problems already. First, we must submit to the governing authorities. Uh, That word submit is the Greek word used dozens of times in the New Testament. It's a military term primarily, and it means to rank under. In the military, they train and train and train so that when an order is given, the troops respond perfectly without having to think and rearrange and figure it out. Otherwise, the enemy would be upon them before they could get organized. This happens by ranks. The general gives the big picture order that which his officers interpret according to their section of the force and pass it down accordingly to the enlisted men. The general might say we need to take this area in order to rout the enemy. By the time that gets to the private, it's charge up this hill and take out that machine gun nest. With everyone doing their part, the battle is hopefully won as the machine works with precision. If the private decides, no, I think it would be better if I stayed here and took a nap, the squad's task would be more difficult, and if everyone decided in their own way what to do, the general's orders would not be fulfilled. So in society, we are to submit to the government. When the government passes a law that says don't drive over 65 or 70 miles per hour, uh, then we should submit to that, we should obey that law, as I'm sure we all do. If we all decided that speed laws weren't a good idea for us and we drove 100 miles an hour, then there would be a terrible rash of accidents and people would probably die. It's not important whether or not you believe that 65 or 70 is the right speed, but if that's the law, then we should obey. Now, you say, what about the laws that conflict with God's character? Well, I'm glad you asked. In the military, there is such a thing as an illegal order. There are processes whereby a soldier can make a commanding officer prove the legality of an order, like ordering genocide, for example. Well, in society, if a law directly conflicts with the laws of God, then we have to obey God. 
For instance, when the Jews told Peter and John not to speak the name of Jesus anymore, he said in Acts 4.19, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. But for the most part, we aren't going to see this kind of thing, and we should do our best to rank under the laws of society so that we are all safer and cared for. Well, what about bad rulers? I mean, uh, like Hitler. You mean God sets them up as well? Yes, but it doesn't mean that they're good or that they're saved. But God will use them as pawns. Thank God we don't serve a dictator. And remember that Paul wrote this in Roman times under some really terrible dictators. Paul makes this obedience he talks about even more imperative. Listen to this in verse 2. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, why is this? Well, verse 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. See, so God establishes earthly authority to punish the wrongdoers and reward those who do right. If there were no civil authority, do you think those bent on doing evil would waste one minute creating total anarchy in society? Our problem is that we want it both ways. We want to be protected, but we don't want anyone messing in our business. Well, if you read on in the text, it says, Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. You're probably asking, do you mean that if I break the law and get punished, the government is God's servant? I mean, isn't the world under the control of Satan? Isn't it evil? Well, I'll tell you this. At the beginning, Paul said God sets up governments. And here government is God's servant when punishing wrongdoers. It doesn't mean that government takes the place of God's judgment on the sinner. But God made governments to help people get along. Verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. So it's even more than just obeying because you are afraid of being punished. Paul says it's a matter of conscience. Now, what does this mean? Well, we should obey because it's the right thing to do, to have the attitude, well, no one's looking now, so I can do whatever I want is, I think, contrary to the kind of person God is making us. The law is filled with don'ts. Don't kill, don't steal. But Jesus said that the law is summed up in two concepts, both of which are positives. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If we would follow those principles all the time, even when the law isn't looking, we don't have any problems. Of course, that doesn't apply to paying taxes, does it? Well, verse 6 says, this is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Verse 7, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Yes, Paul says we should pay our taxes, plain and simple. Jesus said the same, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. In a larger sense, I think that what Paul is saying is that government is not the enemy, but rather God's servant. Now, does it always work right? Well, no, we know that. Does it always follow the best example of Christ? No, we know that too. That's certainly the case in the culture Paul was writing to. I mean, Nero was emperor over Rome. He was a cruel and terrible man. 
Yet in that context, Paul exhorts the Roman Christians to pay taxes and to respect the government. Now why? Well, I'm going to get to that in a moment, as illuminated by another apostle, Peter. But next Paul gives us what has become, to some, a stumbling block. Verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The King James Version of the Bible translates the first part of this verse as, Owe no man anything. To some that suggests that all borrowing is unscriptural. They say that you should wait until you have the money and then make the purchase. On the other side, we are a society of debtors. We put everything on credit, mounting to billions in consumer debt and leading to well over a million bankruptcies just in the past year. So what is Paul really saying? Well, I think the New International Version captures it. I mean, borrowing is okay. Not paying back is not okay. Now, I'm not going to argue the merits of bankruptcy here. This isn't a financial management seminar, but the principle is if you borrow it, pay it back. But what I think Paul is really saying doesn't involve owing money. It centers around owing love, the one debt we can never repay. Remember, we're talking about our role in society, Paul says. Be responsible. Obey the law. Pay your taxes. Give the government respect. But even when you've done all those things and think you've fulfilled all of your obligations to society, there's one debt you can never pay back, and that is the debt of love. We should never stop loving. It's an obligation we can fulfill, but a charge for us to follow, always. Paul goes on to sum it, this up, sum it up this way, starting in verse 9. The commandments say, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. You see, often laws and regulations tell us that uh, tell us what we shouldn't do, but the ultimate law of God tells us what we should do, and that's love. You see, if we all followed the law of love, there would be no need for the laws against murder or stealing or coveting or whatever. Now, why is this important? Because of two things, where we live and where we are going. Verse 11, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. In verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Understand the present time. I mean, each day that passes brings us closer to the day when Jesus returns to take us home. But when he comes back, what's he going to find us doing? Sometimes I think we as Christians think that we are playing some kind of a game or in a play. We're simply playing the part of a Christian. But Paul is telling us to wake up. This is serious business. Lives are at stake. And we need to rise to a higher standard than just feigned obedience to societal laws. We need to embrace the higher calling of love and the higher responsibility of turning our lives over to Jesus for his use. Paul says, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. When you start each day, what do you do? Do you get up and feel all groggy and your mouth feels awful with morning breath? Well, what do you do? You get in the shower, wash off all the sweat and the dirt and the oil, then you put on fresh clothes and brush off all the junk that formed in your mouth overnight. Now you are all fresh and clean physically. But what about spiritually? 
How about if we started each day by praying, Lord, forgive me for what I have done that is not in concert with your character in the last day. Cleanse me from all that I saw or heard or experienced that drew me towards the world instead of you. Take, you take a, take a spiritual shower, then ask the Lord to clothe you with Christ. Put on the armor of light. We could say, Father, fill me with your spirit today. Make me strong and able to withstand temptation. Fill me with the wisdom to know what you want me to say and or do today. Lord, place angels in my path and your word in my mouth to do battle against the enemy and persuade others to make you their Lord. Paul goes on, he finishes up the chapter, and he says in verse 13, 14, Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies of drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Here we see both physical actions and mental attitudes. Both are important as we put on the armor of light. Two things. Clothe yourself with Christ and do not think about how to gratify the flesh. To clothe means to sink into a garment. And as we put on our fresh physical clothes in the morning, we also pray that we will sink into fresh spiritual clothes as well. Remember, the Bible tells us that we are hidden in Christ, and when the Father looks at us, he sees his Son. So sink into the Lord so that your character and actions and attitudes mirror his, not by your own power, but by the Spirit's power in you. Then secondly, don't think about the flesh. The King James says, make no provision for the flesh. The idea is of forethought. In James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Sin, most of the time, does not just pounce on us like a leopard in the jungle, but it happens gradually. We see an image, we feel an emotion, we hear a familiar set of words and it begins to act on us. We start thinking in certain ways. Temptation comes along and entices us to sin. So we feed it little by little until we decide to act in a way we know we shouldn't. Instead, we need to put temptation on a diet. We do that by crushing it in its early stages. Crush it with prayer, worship, repeating God's word, getting help from a brother or sister, cutting ourselves off from the supply. It mean, if that means we avoid certain places or people or activities, so be it. Well, friends, to sum up this chapter of Romans, recognize that government is God's servant. He is ultimately in charge. Do your part to obey the civil authorities where you can. And go above and beyond what's required to bring God's love to the world around you. Take a spiritual shower and clothe yourself with Christ while starving the flesh. May God bless not only you, but all of us in this pursuit. God bless. Talk to you next week.